Second reading is from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Here ends the reading. Thanks, John. If you've got your Bibles there, please keep them open at 1 John chapter 3 there. And we're going to have question time directly after the sermon. So if you have any questions that come up on the way through, then um, you can get ready to ask them then. We've already prayed, but let's, let's do so again. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you will produce in us by your Spirit the kind of love that you would have us exhibit the kind of love that you have demonstrated to us in sending your son Jesus to die for us. We ask that that genuinely will be uh, the marked difference that shows that we are your people, the people of the God of love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, a woman started coming to the church that I was going to. Her name was Kate. And she was not a Christian, but she had started hanging out with some of the Christian women from the church. And as she did so, she began to notice a difference in the way that these women related to each other and in the ways that they treated each other. She began to notice a love among them that was both intriguing and attractive. And as she spoke with these women about this and as they spoke with her about it, what she began to discover was that what she noticed in them was a reflection of the love that Jesus has shown to us. And in time, Kate came to put her trust in Jesus herself. Now, that's a great story, I reckon, a great example of Christians living the love that we're meant to, living the love that we speak about. Because Christians are meant to be all about love, right? We know the love that God has for us and we're meant to have that same kind of love for each other. This is what's meant to mark us as different to the people around us because 
We are the people of love because God is the God of love. And the purpose of this passage is to, for us to make sure that this is true of us, to make sure that we are loving each other, to make sure that our love is real love. So let's get into it. And the first point that we're going to see really makes this clear for us, that we are the people of love, not the people of hate. And that's what must mark us as different to the world around us. Let me read a few of these verses. I'll start from verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And again in verse 13, Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. But we know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. We are the people of love and our love is what will mark us as different to the world around us. We shouldn't be surprised if, if the people around us hate us, but we need to make sure that there is none of that hatred among us in the ways that we treat each other. And he says, I can't say that I've received God's love for me and yet at the same time continue to hate my brother or sister. Those two just don't go together. Now, of course, when you think about it, the word hate is a strong word, isn't it? And I'm sure if I asked you to put your hand up, no one's going to say, yes, there's this person that I hate. And even as we think about it, we think, I don't hate anyone. But what about kind of that, that bitterness or, or anger or resentment towards that person who has wronged me? That holding on to unforgiveness towards that person that has wronged me? You ever get that feeling of, you know, that subtle feeling of, of pleasure, of satisfaction at the thought of something bad happening to that person? Not, not hit by a bus kind of bad, but, you know, just stuff not going well for them. You know, wouldn't it it'd just make me feel a bit better? I just get that little bit of satisfaction when, when, when they go a little bit worse because, you know, they've done bad stuff to me and so I don't like seeing them succeed. I'm sure that's something that's actually not too far from our own experience. I mean, that's true for me, I have to admit, and I'm sure it's probably true for some of us. But that's down the pathway of hate. And it's certainly not the love that we are called to have among us. And the next section, verses 16 to 18, shows us what real love looks like. And it shows us, it tells us, that real love is costly. It's costly, it's hard. So in verse 16, John is asking the question, so what is real love? You know, say, yes, I want to love, I, I, I want to do that, but what does that look like? How do I know? It turns out, actually, the answer is quite easy because there's an example that John can point to and say, that there is the real love that we're meant to have. And it's there in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's an easy answer. The answer is easy, but the love is not easy. That kind of love is costly. And you've only got to look at Jesus to see how costly it is. I mean, it cost him his life. And on the way to his death, it cost him humiliation. It cost him ridicule. It cost him abandonment. That's what Jesus gave up. And he did that out of love for us. He was willing to pay it all, to lay it all down for our sake. That's Jesus' love for us, 
And that's the example that we're meant to follow. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, real love gives up what's good for me for the sake of what's good for you. It's self-sacrificial. And John says that should actually make a real difference in the ways that we treat each other, in the ways that we treat the people around us, our brothers and sisters. And, and so he gives us an example, again, of what this will look like in our lives. When we see a brother or sister in need, we cannot close our heart to that need. Verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And the problem is not so much not having the feeling of compassion or the feeling of pity. The problem is not doing anything about it. The problem is closing my heart down to that feeling of compassion that would rise up in me and would lead me to want to have this kind of love that shows itself in practical ways. But then I turn away from that and I shut it down. I, I harden my heart. I don't respond in self-sacrificial love for that person. So I thought it might be helpful for us to spend a little bit of time now thinking about what this might look like for us to have this kind of real love for each other. Because the whole point of this is that it does actually make a practical difference in the ways that we relate to each other and in the ways that we care for each other. As it says in verse 18, Dear children, let's not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's not just say that we're the people of love. Let's be the people of love. Let's show our love in the ways that we relate to each other. Otherwise, how can we say that the love of God is in us? So as I said, I want to talk about some examples. And my goal in talking about some examples is, is not to kind of go, it looks like this and this and this, and to limit then what this should look like, but just to give us some ideas and to get us thinking. And, and really the ultimate goal is that, that we are motivated by the love of Jesus to find new ways that we can express this kind of love to each other. And just to begin with, I should point out that this is particularly talking about loving each other within our Christian fellowship. It's not to say that we shouldn't love people more broadly. Jesus is very clear about that. But that's not the focus of this command. This is particularly talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's us. And so it's talking about when I see someone in need. You know, I see a need. And I have something that can meet that need. And the need that it talks about here is material possessions. But that's actually broader than it sounds. Material possessions is more literally the stuff of life. You know, quality of life in this world. I see someone in need of the stuff of life. And, and so, of course, material possessions is going to be a part of that. You know, food, shelter, clothing, that kind of stuff, the the daily bread kind of stuff that we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us today our daily bread. That's the stuff of life. But there's also more than that, I think, involved in quality of life. And I reckon in our context, particularly, it's got to include the way that we care for each other in relationships, the way that we meet each other's need for friendship and family, 
we can and should, I think, be able to meet each other's needs in this way. It makes me think of when I studied chemistry, which was a long time ago, more than 20 years ago. Anyone studied chemistry? A few people. It's okay. What I remember of it is not very complicated, so I'm sure I was aware that illustrating something with a chemistry illustration doesn't sound very exciting, but let me, let me tell you. What I remember is that there are some elements, some atoms that have no desire to connect, right, with other atoms, with, with other elements. They're, they're happy by themselves. We call those inert elements. But most elements are not like that. Most elements do have an openness to connect with other elements until they're full, until they've reached their quota of connections and then they, they're not open anymore. They don't want to have any new connections because they're, they're full. And I think we can be like that sometimes with our openness to relationships. You know, we, we, we want some relationships, but when I feel content or full, when I feel like I've reached my quota, then I kind of close myself off to being open to, to new relationships or maybe to hard relationships, ones that they're going to require more effort than they give. And so I, I don't want to be open to those relationships. And I think some of us reach our quota with friendships. You know, this is my friendship circle and I feel content and full with that. Some of us reach that quota with our family. This is my little bubble and, and this is nice for me. You know, we reach a comfortable stage and we find contentment in our circle of friends or in our family. And the result of that is that we no longer have that eye out for the person who is in need in this regard, the person who is lonely, the person who is hurting, who, who, who needs kind of relationships in this way. Relationships are part of the stuff of life that we need. And surely this year with COVID shutdown really reminded us of that, didn't it? You know, when, when we were locked in our houses and weren't able to see other people, we thought we realised, actually, you know, we, we do need relationships. And so loving like God loved us should make us more willing to be open for the sake of that person who is lonely, for the sake of that person who needs care and connection in that way, to be family for the person who doesn't have family or for whom family is hard or family is far away, to be friends for those people who don't have many friends. And this usually means, doing this well, usually means reaching across some kind of social divide, whether it's age or life stage or culture. You know, the world out there is very good at connecting with people who are like them, but we need to be good at connecting people who are not like us. So couples connecting with singles who are feeling isolated or vice versa. People with kids connecting with those without kids, the young with the old, those who've lost spouses or kids or parents or who are just dislocated for whatever reason. And as I say this, I know that some of us will be the hurting and the lonely in this regard. And some of us will have the capacity to meet that need. And some of us will be maybe a mix of both of those at the same time. But if we're going to hear what John says to us here, then we need to be willing and prepared to see those needs and to meet them with real love. 
And, I, and I've seen some great examples of this. Let me tell you about a few. Uh, one great example I've seen is people who visit the elderly in nursing homes or, or in hospital, and, and particularly for people whose family is, not, is a long way away or just they don't have family. I see people faithfully going every single week. And that is not easy. It costs time, obviously. It costs relational effort. It costs money to not be working during that time. Uh, another example I see is people who just open their homes to, to other people, not just for socialising, but people who are always on the lookout for that person who is a bit on the outside, who is a newcomer, to help them feel welcome. And I reckon as Christmas approaches, one of the great opportunities that we have to be doing this kind of thing is to see who we could invite to our Christmas lunch or dinner. You know how as Christmas approaches, and particularly even Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, that's the question that everyone asks, what are you doing for Christmas? What if we come across that person who says nothing? I'm not doing anything. Yeah, and that person who is lonely at Christmas, is disconnected from family because they live a long way away or they just, they just don't have family, they've got broken family. This is an opportunity to be providing for that need and loving people in that, in that kind of sense. I mean, there's always enough food, right? Last minute, everyone still has enough food at Christmas. There's always leftovers. What we need to be prepared for, though, is the awkwardness, perhaps, or the social difficulty that could come from having someone at our Christmas lunch or dinner who requires more effort to help them feel comfortable. Now, those are just some examples. And I think, actually, though, that when we do these kind of things more generally, when we are open to connecting relationally, that's what will help us to begin to see all kinds of other needs, to see material needs that people have. And that's how we can learn to help each other in ways that we might not have noticed before. So buying the groceries for someone who is struggling financially, but who you know, doesn't want to tell anyone. Or providing meals for someone who is sick, or had a baby, or caring for a, an ill spouse. Providing a place to live for someone who needs somewhere to live. We can, I think, have the, the capacity to meet each other's needs in all kinds of ways. It begins by opening our hearts to be prepared for our compassion, our pity, to actually lead to action. Opening our hearts and then opening our diaries for time, opening our wallets, opening our homes, opening our lives. Now, some of us will have the capacity to meet people's needs in material possessions. And if that's us, then we should do that. Some of us will have capacity to meet people's needs relationally. Some of us will have capacity with regard to our time. Some of us will be rich in all these ways. And some of us will be poor in all of these ways. But I reckon most of us will have some opportunity, some ability to meet people's needs in at least one or some of these areas. But we do need to expect that it will cost us. It's not like, you know, I've got a million dollars and I can afford to give away $10. We expect this should cost us. It cost Jesus his life and it should cost us too. If we have received that kind of love, that kind of costly love, then it should 
motivate us to love with that same kind of fervor, that same kind of love for each other. That's what real love looks like. It's costly. And finally, when we love like this, it gives us confidence before God because it shows that we are God's people. We are the love people because we love like he does. Verse 19 says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth. You know, we say that we are the people of God and our love shows that that is true. Now, I have to admit that as I've read verses 19 and 20 and 21, I've really had to, to wrestle with what these verses are saying and, I, and I, I've kind of changed my understanding of them. Let me, let me read them to you from verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, I used to think that this was saying that when my heart condemns me, that's talking about when my conscience is pricked and I feel guilty about my failure to love, I don't need to worry because God forgives me anyway. Our heart might condemn us in that regard, but God knows better. He knows that we've been forgiven and so we can take it easy and don't let our sensitive consciences unsettle us. Now, you can see why that's attractive because there's some truth in that, right? But I don't think that's what these verses are saying. See, we've been hearing it that real love does not close my heart to the needs of others. And so we should be very wary of any encouragement to calm my conscience when I feel confronted by my lack of love. I don't think that's what these verses are saying. Here's what I think it is saying. That if my heart wants to condemn me as loveless because I have no pity on the needs of others, you know, I see a need, but I think, no, look, I that's not my problem or I don't have to worry about that. My heart wants to be closed and tight-fisted to that need. What should I expect God's love in me to do about that? Well, I should expect God's love in me to rouse my calloused heart, right? Not to leave me comfortable, not to be content with my failure to love, but to drive me more and more to that self-sacrificial love to see the need and to open, to soften my heart. God is greater than our hearts. That is, he doesn't share our selfish hearts and he can change our selfish hearts. And so his greater heart should drive our uncompassionate hearts towards greater love, towards greater compassion. And so my heart is set at rest not when I'm comfortable about my lack of love, but when God's love in me drives me towards greater love. And so my heart no longer condemns me. Instead, it shows that I do have the love of God in me. And that gives me confidence before God. So we need to make sure that our, our forgiveness, knowing that we're forgiven, doesn't stop us from willing, being willing to be challenged about how we love. Yes, we're forgiven for our failures in this regard, but we must not use forgiveness as an excuse for not loving. 
And this passage is driving us to not be content with that. It's driving us to feel challenged. Forgiveness should be like the safety net, I guess, that allows us to feel challenged towards reckless and and courageous and outrageous love, towards greater love. We should be like, you know, the trapeze artists in the circus that swing around on those on those massive swings. We know the safety net is there. And so that means that we're willing to give anything a go. You know, we'll do the, the double flip with the triple twist kind of thing because we know that the safety net is there to catch us if we fall. That is, we are willing to let ourselves be challenged with regard to our love. But too often, I think, we are unwilling to wound our sensitive consciences in this regard with real challenges. And so we're more like the clowns in the circus, you know, when the clowns ride on the tightrope that's 10 centimetres above the ground. Just kind of a joke. We can be like that. Confidence of forgiveness should challenge our heart towards greater and more outrageous love. It shouldn't make us water down the challenges because we're worried about that it might undo my confidence of forgiveness. And the challenge is to love like Christ has loved us. And so just to summarise it really, in verse 23, it says the two marks of God's people are that we trust in Jesus, verse 23, and that we love like he loves. Trust in Jesus and love like he loves. And he says, you are the people who trust in Jesus. I mean, that's what, that's what defines us, our trust in Jesus. Make sure that you are also the people who love like he loves. And when we do that, that's the mark of family resemblance. That's what shows that we really are in the family of the God of love. And so we have confidence before God. And in the, in the short time that I've been here at, at Richmond Anglican, I, it's been really encouraging to see this kind of love among us. And my prayer going forward is that we will hear this challenge and this encouragement and make sure that our love for each other continues and grows in this way all the more. Let's pray that it will. Heavenly Father, you have indeed given us a remarkable example of the love that you would have us show to each other and we do feel overwhelmed by that because we know that nothing can plumb the depths of that love it is bigger than we can imagine but father help us to strive for that help us not to be daunted by its unattainability but rather to seek it all the more Father, we do want to be people who are changed and transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, who did lay down his life for us. And so, Father, please help us to be people who will lay down our lives for each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.